Do you have any idea how badly I want to kill you? Yes. One of these days, sooner or later, I'm going to find a loophole, my friend. Well, when you do, I'll be right here. Always nice talking to you, Jacob. Nice talking to you, too. Welcome to Tessa Watches Lost, Monkey Off My Backlog's second weekly podcast, where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is Tessa. This week, we're talking about the season five finale, The Incident. It really sounds like this is like a redacted The Incident. Yeah, it, it sounds like... like nobody says what actually happened. They right. just refer to it as the incident. Yeah, and Lance Reddick shows up and talks about it, which... Okay. We're going to start in the really past past. The right? past past. We're going to start in 1867, which was when the Black Rock... Are we ever going to get like closure on that story? I have theories. I have theories. Okay, but before we talk about any of that, I just want to say, first of all, that I feel like the lines that we read there before the theme, Titus Welliver, as we know, is the man in black. And, no, he's just Titus Welliver. <laughs> right? Well, well, see, what I think is really funny about that is that that could have been dialogue from Bosch. Yeah. It could have been. And and who plays Titus Welliver's boss in Bosch? Or rather, the police commissioner, I should say. I have no idea. I don't watch this show. Lance Reddick. Oh, okay. That that, that makes sense. That's so it, full circle it there. Does. It does. It, it really is full circle. I really enjoy the fact that Titus Welliver has been doing the previously on Lost I'm, I'm since the very beginning yeah. of the show. Well, I think they had it. I think they got it in the last season and then just put it on. Oh, all of them? I think so. Okay, fair. I was about to say, that's a really or, long game. Or, or somebody was doing a Titus Welliver accent a long time <laughs> their, ago. Their best impression of Titus Welliver. And they were just like, well, who are we going to cast for this? Well, obviously, obviously Titus Welliver. Speaking of manifesting, maybe. So we, we do start in 1867. I just the beginning of this episode, this whole episode is a giant trip to crazy town. Okay, I felt like I watched an entire season in this episode. Which, which is certainly a fault of this season. Like, right? I, you were there when we finished. Because you were I like, was there. You're you like, were don't like, talk to me. You were like, what did you think? And I was like, I can't talk about it. I am still processing. And like, I was quiet for a while. There were some emotions. Yeah. There was some stuff that happened. You, you had somebody to talk to and process about this, unlike me, but you chose not to. I, I mean, I usually can, but this was worse than Game of Thrones. Like, in terms of, I have to sit here and ponder what just happened. It was way worse than any episode of Game of Thrones. I know. So, brief summary. A blonde man on the beach sees a ship, which we know is the Black Rock. That's their first point up okay this is probably the island we know what this ship is a man in black joins him they have a conversation there's words said about a curse they definitely hate each other and we know this because the man in black vows to murder the blonde man and by the way the guy with the blonde hair is jacob what okay first of all his name is lucifer from supernatural and it's not <laughs> like, is jacob is jacob the devil 
this was very interesting to me. I'm I'm back. I'm back on board with what's happening. There's mythology happening here. I was right about the conflict. I was just wrong about who the conflict was between. It's between Jacob and the man in black, which is a very Stephen King thing to say, slash Robert Browning thing to say. So yeah, this is interesting. I'm I'm here for it. This is the kind of narrative that I like. Ancients going at it. They can't kill each other, but they have to figure out a way to enact their conflict in the lives of the mortals around them. This is very like Greek gods, Norse gods, all of that kind of thing. Selfish bastards, really. I mean, like you're causing all this havoc because you can't stand each other. Tale as old as time. Seriously, it is actually. I, yeah. I'm here for it. I like this kind of thing. Well, stay tuned for next season. Fair. <laughs> I yeah. I mean, it it, it bold move. To have five seasons of television and be like, put, put, wait, here's a brand new plot to follow on the season finale. See you in several months. Bye. Of all the things, I mean, I was right about this, but of all the things, I really wasn't expecting it to go like mythological like this. So I, I'm going to elide asking you the question and just power through. But I mean, the bottom line is that this is interesting. This is good. Oh, yeah. We enjoy this. The only thing that makes this episode terrible is the other cliffhanger, which we'll talk about a ways from now. I just want to point out, I believe it was last time we had the anti-keen somewhere only we know it was no, a, a place nobody knows. Yeah, or a like place that. nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this this episode of Lost is the anti-U2 uh, with their album title, How to Dismantle an atomic bomb. They're trying to figure out how to mantle this is, it. This is how to make a hydrogen bomb go boom. No, and we'll no, get to that. It's but, how to mantle a bomb. We never talk about the mantling process. Mm, we always talk about the dismantling process. You know, the real question is, are they going to rue the day they mantled? Oh, they clearly already rue the day that they mantled. They rude that day as soon as it was mantled. Speaking of days we rude, we have several flashbacks in this episode. The first one, is from 1976 at Sawyer's parents' funeral, where Sawyer is, of course, committing on paper the you-will-rue-the-day letter. This vengeance plan. Yes. It's important when you're going to give vengeance for your parents to have a plan. Yeah. So there are many flashbacks, as I said, and we get to see seminal moments in most of the main characters' lives where Jacob shows up and gives them something. Here, Jacob gives Sawyer the pen, which allows him to continue on his path of vengeance, which makes him a grifter, which blah, 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 blah. No, I mean, I do think this is interesting. I don't know if any single one of these are as interesting as the trend of all of these. I think the most interesting one is Locke's. Mm -hmm. But the rest of them are very like... This is a m mundane moment from the perspective of the character. Like from the perspective of the character, it's right. not, they're not mundane. No, they're moments. they're not, and we know that they're not because we're seeing them together, and we know Jacob is a significant figure. But like, they're very forgettable moments in from the perspective of the characters. Probably none of these characters would recognize this person if they saw him again. Well, that's the whole point. Yeah. Right? So before we talk about Kate, I think the next chronological thing that happens. I'm guessing it's the early to mid-1980s. I uh, don't really have a specific date for this, but we see two young girls sitting on a couch, one of whom is Juliet, and Juliet's parents 
are telling her and her sister that they are getting divorced. But the key message here that plays a part in Juliet's life later is they don't say, we still love you. The traditional parents are getting divorced script. It's not your fault. They say, we still love each other, but we don't belong together. That's going to come up a little bit later. And she runs away screaming because that's what children do. It's interesting. This one is also interesting because it's the only one where Jacob doesn't show up. Who, who's which, which character on Lost has the most heartbreaking arc? And why is it Juliet? Oh, my God. Juliet in this episode. Like, but as you point out, Jacob's not oh in this. Oh, my God. You're yeah, right. he's, not, he's not in this, which makes me think that Juliet isn't like a this chosen about, one. Yeah, yeah it, it is her. very interesting. Yeah. Because Juliet... I will, we'll talk about it. I just, Juliet in this episode is like the character. Like she is the character in this episode. And it is very interesting that she is the only one who doesn't get a, a visit. The next one is probably 1988. I say this because New Kids on the Block, Hanging Tough came out in spring of 88. So if you're doing lunchbox shopping, it's probably four months later in like August of 1988. But it could be 1989. Anyway, young Kate tries to shoplift a lunchbox, which, you know, like, kid, bulky item. This is like on Crooklyn when she, like, shoves the the ice cream. No, it's a bag of chips. It's a bag of chips. Yeah. Um, That was (laughs) neat. She does that later. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. She she, her shirt. Yeah. But nobody cared because they were distracted. Right. And when she gets caught, it's the bag of chips. It's important to get these details right. <laughs> well, I was thinking about the silliness of trying to steal a boxy big item that yes. you can't compact. Anyway, she inevitably gets caught. And Jacob is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If I pay for it, it's not stealing. And so he gives her the lunchbox by buying it for her. But then gives her a little advice and says, this is the last time you're going to steal, right? And she says, yes. And he boops her. He does boop her right on her cute little nose. Yeah, I have, I course. have, I do have a question for you. Yes. I have a question. So as you know, mm-hmm. and as most people listening to this podcast know, we've gotten some new listeners lately. So maybe this isn't as common knowledge as I think. I was homeschooled mm-hmm. for a long time. Yes. I didn't have lunch boxes. Mm-hmm. Is this something that people would steal? Yes, absolutely. Like, was it a status symbol? Yeah. And is New Kids on the Block a lunchbox worth stealing? I mean, to a elementary or middle school age girl in 1988 or 89, yes. Fair, fair. Yeah. What 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 lunchbox would you have stolen? Oh, man. I had a Roger Rabbit lunchbox for a while Ooh, there. that's cool. Yeah. I you like know, that. I also had a Muppets lunchbox. Also cool. I may have had a He-Man lunchbox. I don't remember. But I definitely had the Muppets and... And uh, the Roger, it was Roger Rabbit diving off a a diving board, and it says "Don't make waves," <laughs> which which my you know my mom loved to get me like just thinly hardly they're not veiled at all ironic things. They're like, "Hey, you need this lunchbox with the cartoon character from a movie you enjoyed that tells you not to be a jackass." Thanks, mom. Your mom was like. I'm sorry, was. She is the queen of ironic messaging. It's true. I know this sounds sarcastic, Mm -hmm. but were you a cool elementary schooler? No. (laughs) Muppets and Roger Rabbit sounds awesome to me. Well, that's because you're weird, too. 
Anyway, sometime in the 1990s, these these things, I could probably date them if I tried real hard, but I didn't. They're in the 90s. It doesn't matter. Jin and Son get married. Jacob gives them best wishes in excellent Korean. That's. I think this is the funniest part of the whole episode. It's just this offline where... Son is like, do you know him? Because it's always weird when you have a big wedding and like somebody shows up and you're like, I have no idea who this person is like at all. Right. I, but it happens in big weddings. Like oh, yeah. this is this is pretty normal. And so she asked son or she asked I mean, Jin, Jacob is a wedding crasher. Oh, Let's yeah. hundred percent. But she asked Jin, who is this person? And he's like, I don't know, but he has excellent Korean. And yeah. I don't. That's just. Perfect lost humor. Yeah, I you know, it's nice to know that Jacob is rooting for those crazy kids. It's nice to know that he knows all these languages, too. It's very important to communicate with people in the language that they use. Another point sometime in the 1990s, Jack is performing his first surgery and biffs it. And has daddy issues. I, I like the fact that, okay, listen, Jack. I, I, before we get to Jacob, let's just talk about Christian, right? <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's I, what you have to do. <laughs> I mean, I just... Jack's an idiot. We've established that. That's fine. Here's what I think. If any resident had done what Jack did, Christian would have taken over. Because Jack is his son, he helped him calm the fuck down and not kill this woman or leave her paralyzed. And that is not the way that Jack interprets this. Because he's... A dum-dum. Oh, I mean, but this is like classic like parent-child stuff, right. right? Where you you interpret something your parents do through the lens of all the other things that they've done. But I do have a comparison to make. All I'm saying is Meredith's mom would have been like, get the fuck out. Damn it. I was going to say Meredith's mom. Well, well, like, we, isn't this something that yeah. Ellis would have done to Meredith? No, she would have kicked her out and said, try again next time. But doesn't she? She wants Meredith to be excellent, though. Like, but that's see, the thing she tells her. Right. But her approach to excellence is not let me mentor you. It's get better. Yeah, like get good. Anyway, this scene reminded me of Grey's Anatomy so much. And obviously we yeah. never get a scene in, we never get a scene with Meredith and Ellis in the OR together. It's, it's a shame. Which is a shame. But Maybe. I have a feeling there would have been this kind of drama. On to 2000-ish. Locke falls out of the window. Jacob... Gives him comfort, puts his hand on his shoulder. Gonna be okay. I'm sorry this happened to you. This is the most interesting scene in retrospect, knowing what I know now about Locke and Jacob in later in the episode. The other thing that comes out of this is Jacob is reading a short story anthology by Flannery O'Connor. Or, you know, the short stories are written by Flannery O'Connor, and the anthology is titled Everything that rises must converge, which I looked this up before and I looked it up again this time. What's really interesting about this is that is a direct reference to the Omega point. Now, homeschool, do you know what the Omega point is? No. So, you know, in the theory of the Big Bang, which is the universe started at a single point and expanded outward, that eventually it will stop expanding and then do what? Contract. Yeah, right. I do know this. Is and when and when we get to that final, that's the omega point. Okay. All right. 
But more commonly, you hear it talked about in terms of omega point, as in the alpha and, and the omega. omega. The beginning is, and the end. Yeah. Very religious. Basically, everything that rises must converge is uh, one of those convenient, both science and religion refer to this as the end. Otherwise known as a last specialty. So Jacob, you could say, is the omega. Okay. So very Christ-like. I mean, he's already named Jacob, which is the right. favorite son. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, and we'll talk about this more later, right? This The the character convention of calling Titus Welliver's character the man in black is just because he's wearing a black shirt and we have nothing else to call him. Yeah, I was about right. to say, is he Esau? The older I brother? See, I think about uh, the man in black. Uh, Roland? Well, Roland's the guy who's chasing the man in black. Right. I believe, uh, is his name Cor- No, the, yes. Yes. Yeah. Child Roland to the Dark Tower came. Well, yes. right, but also the Stephen King Dark Tower cycle. Oh, no, 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 no. but but they're related is well, the thing. Like Stephen ta- King is responding to Browning. But we talked last week about the time travel cycle, right? Yes. Well, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't read the Dark Tower series, that's how that ends too. Right. So, Try over and over again. Yeah. This is, this is, this, this season finale is where like, oh, uh, please don't be doing this. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. We'll see. Well, anyway. yeah, that's the thing is that it's very unclear. It's very ambiguous. Oh, we yeah. have no idea what happens. Yeah. I mean, as I said, I really dug this episode except for what happened. See, I Juliet. liked it. I hated it. For reasons. Continue. Right. Sometime before 2007. We've got two more here. Sometime before 2007, Ilana is burned up in a Russian hospital. And Jacob asks her for help. He doesn't give. He requests. I think a very odd detail. He wears gloves. I did not notice that at all. <laughs> it's, I don't know what to say to that. It is interesting that this, this interaction with a character that we have literally seen talk like maybe once or twice is given the same weight as the interactions with our main characters. Finally, in the past past, in 2005, Jacob stops Saeed from going into the street. So he takes away. Well, no, you can look at it this way. He gives Saeed life by Uh, preventing him from being struck by the car too, or he gives him death by ensuring that the love of his life dies. Or both. I mean, I like a good gift that's two things at once. Not this gift, though. How, I mean, myth- it- mythologically, I like it. I don't like it for Saeed. You know, we, we've been, it's like, dude got to be with, with love of his life for a few years, and she died, and he was sad Saeed. We knew that, but we had never heard the particulars of it. How do you feel knowing Jacob is responsible? I mean, again, this is goes back to what I said at the beginning. Like, this is clearly a conflict between two beings that have no regard for the people whose lives they ruin yeah. in that conflict. It's all proxies. Okay, so that's all of the past past. Now we're going to take one quick stop because there's one last thing that hasn't been explained in the past present. This is our last flashback to talk about of the entire season. 
It is in 2007. How did Hurley get the guitar? Well, guess who gave it to him? This was interesting because I had completely forgotten that Hurley has a complete about face in that episode. Like, because I I did say it at the time that it was weird that he told Jack never in a million years and then he's on the plane with the guitar. And so it is interesting that we finally get this little bit of information. He gives him the guitar and the motivation to go back to the island. What do you make of what Jacob tells him? That you're so focused on believing you're cursed, but what if you're blessed? That seems like motivational bullshit. <laughs> like, to be honest with you, like, turn that frown upside down. Change your attitude. <laughs> Have we got spirit? Please let that not be like yes, the jingle of the episode. <laughs> I was thinking of it as more Obi-Wan, but sure, yours works too. All right. Let's go back to the present past. Back to 1977. They almost... They almost had it all. But instead, Sawyer, Juliet go back with Kate to stop Jack. And they get to the beach and they don't know where they are. But it's Vincent! It's Vincent and Rose and Bernard! The only three other characters I care about. <laughs> actually, they may actually be like the characters I care about the most. Uh, how did this make you feel? Oh, so nice. I'm so glad to get like some closure on what happened to them. But I'm also just happy that they're happy. They've been happy for three years together. Living their best life with some really amazing hair by the ocean with Vincent the dog, who also has a happy ending. Yeah, He's adopted finally by two people who take care of him. Yep. Unlike everybody else who just, like, ignores him and lets him run around. I like how I like how Rose, they're only there for a few minutes, but Rose is there. It, it's long enough for Rose to get a good zinger in. Oh, my God. This is perfect. I love what she says about the, like, we were, we went back in time and you still found ways to try to kill each other. It's perfect. Like, yes, this is very... Cycle of violence, like, come on, guys, like, get over yourselves. But Jack got a hydrogen bomb. Don't you need to uh, stop it? Bernard, that's her. That's her response. Bernard, no, no, we really don't. Okay. We don't, man. Well, meanwhile, Said and Jack have the bomb. Oh my god, Richard. Richard is like, nope. Conks Eloise on the head, like, drags her out, and so Said and Jack have this bomb. Said's carrying a hydrogen bomb strapped to his back. But now we have to escape Dharmaville, and that's going to go fine. It's great. I love this sequence. I know it's not supposed to play like a comedy, but in my mind, it's a comedy. It's a series of unfortunate events that happen because Saeed gets shot by Ben's dad. Great. Which, which don't you love the fact when we're talking about determinism in time travel? It's like, oh, man, I killed Ben. I fixed the future. No, you didn't, you, but you pissed off his dad, so he's going to murder you. He is going to murder you. How's that for time travel, you asshat? They get into a fight, which, by the way, like, all of them have gotten a lot better at shooting at each other since the beginning of this show. Like, there have been some skills learned by some of these people. Anyway, Hurley and Jin and Miles pick them up in one of the vans. So they hop in the van. And then what proceeds to happen is this great 
I don't even know how long it is. It might even be 20 minutes because it just keeps going and going of them cutting back and forth between flashbacks and Sawyer and Kate and Juliet doing their thing. And just like this van, this van ride to hell that's happening. We're just like everything bad is happening. Saeed is bleeding out. They're trying to fix the bomb. They're yelling at each other. And like the cuts are funny because every time they cut back to the van, this like just like insane music starts playing. Like, and, and it's just, I don't know if they meant it that way, but there's no, there's no like, like easing up into it. Like, it's just like. Somebody is listening to this. Meanwhile. And saying, that's a bus, not a van. Okay, whatever. I know that. We're just going to call it a van. Chill. Anyway, the the van ride to hell comes to a conclusion when Sawyer stops them by standing in the middle of the road. <laughs> Again, peak humor. Peak lost humor. He and Jack talk, and when that doesn't work, they fight. (laughs) I'm sorry. This episode, while very tragic, is also extremely funny. Like, (laughs) Sawyer decides to try his new skills at talking to people. When that doesn't work, he tries his old skills of beating Jack the fuck up. Beats the crap out of him. Like, really goes for it. Like, I don't think... Jack would have survived if it wasn't Listen, for Juliet. Jack probably should have been benched from the the whole drop the bomb in the Swan Station whole thing because he should have been in concussion protocol. It's absolutely true. And this this does feel like all of that tension between Sawyer and Jack coming to a head. I don't know if there will be more tension between the two of them. I mean, surely there will if they're on the show still after this. But it really felt like both of them were just like, Let's get out every single thing that's ever been between us in this one fist fight. So we had a conversation a while ago about Kate and Juliet and Jack and Sawyer. And I was right. I still stand by what I said. Yeah, but I was right. Let's just let the record show. Noted. Okay, thank you. That doesn't mean it is right for the characters, but... Well, but that's the whole point. Yeah. I mean, that's what Juliet says. Apparently, because... I think it's really interesting because Juliet says that she saw the way that Sawyer looked at Kate. And I'm like, that's not what happened. They finished each other's sandwiches. (laughs) Like, I know. That's not... Just give up, man. But anyway... She goes from team let's not blow up the island to team let's blow up the island because if all of this never happens, she never meets Sawyer, never falls in love, and never has her heart broken. So first of all, she's definitely team better never loved at all than loved and lost. Which is dumb. Yes. Second of all, another intentional unintentional form of humor here when Sawyer is questioning why she suddenly changed her mind before she explains it he says you just went from miss leader of the great sub uprising to and I had to say Julia MVP she does a lot of the action in this what's that say Tessa it does you wrote it in your notes Juliet's the MVP she goes from 
She does, she makes everything happen in this episode. And looks, everything. And looks great the whole Absolutely. time. Absolutely. That hair, that pink top with the square yes. neckline. Like, I am Team Juliet. Oh, and I know what you're thinking. Team Juliet for Sawyer or Team Juliet for Jack? Doesn't, Doesn't matter. matter. Team Juliet, whatever happens to her, I hope it's fine. Well. Unfortunately, well, it won't be. So we have the, the shootout at the OK Swan Corral. I don't, I don't know. I just had shootout at the Swan. I figured I had to work that in. Anyway, <laughs> it is very Western feeling. Nothing goes well up to and including all. a cavalry arrival. Right. Uh, Juliet gets dragged to hell. <laughs> you told me. What did I tell you? That in this show, in this the show. emotional moment was Penny's boat. You neglected isn't to tell the, me. Isn't it funny that everyone goes with that one, though? You neglected yeah. to tell me that there would be this, frankly, traumatic to watch scene yeah. of Juliet being dragged to hell with Kate trying and failing to untangle her and her begging Sawyer to let her go and Sawyer begging her not to let go. This is what they wanted that moment from Avengers Endgame where... Black Widow is hanging on yeah. to Hawkeye and is yeah. like, that's what they wanted this to be. Mm-hmm. This was devastating yeah. on so many levels. Like I, I, it made me feel my feelings. It made me feel feelings I did not want to feel. Well. And I thought she was dead. Well, she is now. Well, yeah, but so are the rest of them, theoretically. Yeah. But. Never let it be said of Juliet that she doesn't finish the assignment. Again, MVP, because they drop, also unintentionally funny, they drop the bomb and nothing happens. You remember what I said to you when that happened, when he dropped it down the shaft? Because they made it all emotional. They all said their goodbyes. They're all waiting for it to explode and nothing happens. You remember what I said? The Swan Station ate it. (laughs) It ate the bomb. I really thought that the island had like, yeah, Just so, been like, Ju- so Juliet reaches down the island's throat, pulls the bomb back up, hits it with a rock. It goes, explode, explode, end of season. Juliet, after no more, having- end of season. It's over. We don't see anything else. Goodbye. After having fallen a long ways with tons of metal and machinery, gets her broken body together and hits the bomb. Has anyone else on this show done anything nearly as badass as that? Nope. Nope. Not never. Not at all. On the one hand, I agree with you. This feels stupid, and I will have to see how they resolve it because it really does feel like if if it works and they go back in time, it really feels like nothing matters, like nothing has mattered on this show. If it's a loop theory, that could be a little bit more interesting. I know you don't like loops like that. I do, and so that could be very interesting. I... Did like it from the perspective of by the time we got there, everything has been so fucked up that the only way that they could potentially unfuck it up is to do this. Like too many people had died or were Mm -hmm. mortally wounded. Like they had to at least try. Sure. At this point. At the beginning of season six, where will we see our friends next? I have a feeling that they're going to do the thing. That it's going to be a alternate universe where the plane landed. But there's going to be some kind of... Either they're going to remember it, Doctor Who style, 
or because they were in the time travel. Yeah. Or there's, or like, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example of this, but I can't because I'm exhausted. You know that thing where you have an alternate timeline, but people start to like have memories of the other timeline or like they know something's wrong. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that might be that too. I, I mean, Literally anything could happen. I could be completely wrong about this, but I narratively it feels like that's the right place to go. All right. So, of course, we still have one time period left to talk about, which is 2007, the present. Which doesn't exist anymore? Question mark? Yeah, I know. That's the other thing is like if this happened, then did anything happen like that's the thing like if you pull at one thread Mm -hmm. i mean i guess the other answer could be season six is them trying to put the universe back together after having after having blown it up well let's clear some things up before we exit this season now that we've got all the drama out of the way all of it ben lied about seeing Jacob and talking to him. Again, this whole very time, funny. He was. You just watched the character he's based on yesterday, right? He is the man behind the curtain doing the, doing the, pulling the- Henry pull, Gale, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All we, all, all I we needed- I am a humbug. All we needed was Vincent coming up to him and going, like Toto, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. That is what this is. Ben is a fraud. Although it, I, I almost want to go back and watch the scene where he's talking to Jacob again, just to know that he's talking to like an empty chair. Do you like how he said, I, I was a little surprised when things started spinning around. Yeah. I did not <laughs> expect that. that. And neither did the writers funny. when they wrote that, I bet. Probably. Jerks. Anyway. Ben is the most interesting part of this. Yeah. I really want to know what you think about what happens at the end, but we'll get to that. I, I I just feel like sometimes the Lost writers are like, oh, a loose thread. Let's pick it up. So sometimes they, it works. Sometimes it doesn't. On this on this march to Jacob, they <laughs> stop at the original campsite. Son walks over to Aaron's crib and finds Charlie's drive shaft ring. Charlie, you are everybody. I was wondering, why was it like, why did she drop it? That's so like, random. it never made sense to me why that was a detail that was included. Whatever. Anyway, a more important detail is Alana and friends are toting a giant box, and I know one thing: that box is too big for Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Absolutely. So what's in the box? For like half the episode, I thought it was another bomb. <laughs> But you figured out what it was pretty quickly. I did figure out what it was based on Lapidus's reaction and also based on the way that John was acting. So. Turns out that new attitude of his. Yeah. So anyway. So anyway, Alana is. Alana and friends are toting the box. Everybody ends up under the foot of Anubis. (laughs) Didn't really didn't think that statue was going to come back. I really didn't. Anyway. Hey, hey, where is the island god at? I don't know, directly underneath the statue of the island. I don't know. Alana says, take us to Ricardus. He's been around so long. 
See, and I thought based on the the beginning of the episode that he would be one of the pirates on the Black Rock. I was like, oh, this is like a nope. he got granted a immortality to no. do Jacob's bidding. But Ricardus does not sound like a pirate name. It, does not. it sounds like a Roman name. That's right. So anyway, hey, I realized something when yes. I was putting the notes together. So Alana's crew is carrying Locke's body. Gasp. But I'm gonna say it again. The people on Ajira Flight 316 had Locke's body. Ajira 316. For God so loved the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got the 316 part. I didn't get the Ajira part. Yeah, it also reminded me of, uh, like, the Israelites carrying the... the Ark of the Covenant across the desert. It did feel like that, too, yeah. Because even the even the design of it feels very Ark of the Covenant with the the poles and the box in the middle. Here's the thing. I I think three sixteen is intentional. I think the Ark is intentional. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've thrown in Anubis here. Mm-hmm. Is this a pastiche? Or do they know what they're doing? Well, I mean, it, you could take a very Campbellian approach to this and say that like all myths have some things in common, right? And so if you were going to say, like, I mean, if you were going to take that, like, unifying theory to Lost and say, like, what they're saying is that all these mythologies, they all converge at some point. And if we... Because everything that rises... Must also converge. But also, if we think it's a loop theory, then the idea is this story has happened before and it'll happen again, which, by the way, I believe is the beginning of Peter Pan. This has all happened before and it'll all happen again. The other thing I was going to say is that the Anubis thing and the fact that Jacob is working on Egyptian like hieroglyphs and stuff and the tension between him and the other man really made me think of the Osiris myth, like the idea of Osiris uh, being killed by his brother. Like it's like a struggle, right? And then he has to be like resurrected. It's another resurrection myth. Anyway, I, I just thought it was interesting. I'd be interested to know if they're actually going to commit to the Egyptian stuff. Well, Here's my question. Isn't Jacob just Anubis? I mean, he could be. Like, hanging out under his own statue? I mean, that would make sense. Who would the man in black be? Because you associate black with death, right? Right. But... So, like, God of the Underworld? or Well, Well, Seth is the one who kills Osiris, and he is the adversary of Horus, who's the god of the sky. I don't know. I don't know. Feels like a lot of things are going on here. Yeah. I I don't know. The man in black told us earlier that one day he was going to find a loophole. And then he tells Ben that he needs to do, like, there's this big deal, right? A big production. Like, I can't do this. You have to do it for me. You said you'd do anything I would ask you, right? This sounds like somebody trying to find a loophole. Yeah, so this is when I realized that John was a shapeshifter. Yes, and you you said that. You, yeah, I was like, like shapeshifter. And I, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, it should have been pretty obvious that he's the smoke monster because the smoke monster is the one who tells Ben to do everything John Locke tells you. And yeah, right? Yep. This is a plan. This is a plot. This is a loophole that he is. The question is, is... um. Titus Welliver's Man in Black, did he 
do this all to engineer Ben into the loophole? Or is he just taking advantage of Ben? Because Ben is pissed. Jacob tells Ben that he has a choice. And Ben is, as you said, very mad. And he says, what choice? He says, you can do what Locke has told you to do, or you can leave us alone so he and I can talk about it. And Ben says, after all this time, you've decided to stop ignoring me? 35 years I lived on this island, and all I ever heard was your name over and over. Richard would bring me your instructions, all those little slips of paper, all those lists, and I never questioned anything. I did as I was told. But when I dared to ask to see you myself, I was told, you have to wait. You have to be patient. But when he asked to see you, he gets marched straight up here as if he was Moses. So why him? What was it that was so wrong with me? What about me? And Jacob says, what about you? And then Ben stabs him a lot. Stabby, stabby. Honestly, this feels like Michael Emerson, Emmy-worthy work. Like, this is some really good stuff from him. Like, he has the perfect balance of just anger and sorrow and frustration. Like, it, it's just so perfectly calibrated to be in the middle of all those different emotions. And I really felt he was channeling that like Milton, like Satan-esque, you're like, you're the one who's supposed to have told me what to do and taken care of me and like given me this like purpose in life, but you never cared. And so I'm going to kill you. Right. Like that's kind of this, this thing. I do think it's interesting that Jacob doesn't, he tells him you have a choice. This isn't what it appears to be, but he doesn't give him anything more than that. He doesn't say like this person's a shapeshifter and we've been fighting for a long time and you're being duped. He doesn't give him any information. He just gives him the choice. Guess you should have been nicer to Ben, huh? Or alternatively, this is what Jacob wanted. And I feel like it is because this whole like giving people gifts throughout time thing feels very much like a plan. Do you think we're going to see actual Locke again? I don't know, because dead is dead. And that's the thing. And I love how they, they told us that all season, but, but we didn't believe now. it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess if they do the time thing, if it does go back, then he's still alive on the plane. Right? I don't know. In a I wheelchair. Guess, guess we'll find out. We made it to final thoughts. What do you think? Uh, overall, I think this is a good season. Again, ending emotionally devastating. But it was a good season. And... I know that this is where things start to fall apart. <laughs> and so I'm a little I'm a little um anxious about starting the next season, but as far as it goes, this was a better season than 3 or 4. I thought. Yeah, this this last episode is very emotional. It does remind me I know what I was thinking at this point the first time. I was very Bart Simpson on the Camp Krusty episode. Where, like, that camp is the worst thing ever. And he, whole time, Krusty will come. Krusty will come. And when he doesn't, when he, Bart realizes he's never going to show up, he flips his shit and takes over the entire camp. Like, immediately. The right before that is how I felt here. I was like, this is still going to be okay. Still going to be okay. Still going to be okay. But here's the thing. If you've got a unified theory... A puzzle box has to have a solution, right? So the mythology, the science, 
the time travel theories, the Egyptian gods, the references to Christianity, all of... How in the world is this all going to... How are they going to land this plane? Or crash it onto an island? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, how can they possibly make this work? I know, it's just so many threads, and I think that's both the strength of the show and its weakness. Because like you said, it's almost impossible to resolve all of this in a meaningful way, which, I mean, honestly, is always a weakness of television. Like, television in general has this problem, if it has overarching arcs, of how do you end it in a satisfying way? And it's very hard to pull off, and I think Lost definitely wrote itself into a corner in that way. But the strengths of Lost is that it's so unpredictable and that it has so many threads. So, like, I can't say that I wish it was less puzzle boxy or less uncomplicated because I, I, that is genuinely what I like about the show. But I can see the problem. I can see the problems looming already. Yeah. I guess the, the thing that occurs to me at this point in watching it again is watching it in its original form in the way it was originally presented, I had a very strong emotional connection to it for years. Yeah. I mean, it's an emotional and, show. Yeah, but watching it in this span of time, I don't feel that way. That's interesting. I mean, there's still things that... I mean, we talk about nostalgia a lot, right? Like, the things that devastate me devastate me because I remember how it felt. I guess you can ask a couple of questions. The first one would be if you felt a certain way about a show or a book or a movie the first time and then you came back to it and you don't have that feeling anymore. Does that change how you felt the first time? No. Right. I mean, and that's that's the thing. We talk about that with a lot of pop culture, especially pop culture produced by problematic people. It it can't go back and change how you felt the first time, but it can make it hard to revisit. Right. Right. And and while that's not the case here, I I do think watching this, it's kind of like, even though Marie Kondo was a, you know, a fraud. She was not a fraud. No, she wasn't a fraud. She changed her mind, which by the way, people can do. I don't even think she changed her mind. I think she just reached a different phase in life. Like that's just... (laughs) Stuff happens. Well, I I think that the I think the exercise in watching Lost here is me picking it up, realizing it doesn't have as much value to me anymore, and going thanks, bye. But that's okay. It like is okay. I I don't see any problem with that, and that doesn't mean you haven't enjoyed watching it with me or discussing it with me on these episodes. Oh, right. And I mean that's the thing that was a very enjoyable experience. If we watched The West Wing or any Aaron Sorkin show, not only would I not have the same attachment to it that I did the first time. It would be an awkward experience because I don't know if he'd like it or not. Also, Tessa watches West Wing. Seems like a show where I'd just be screaming into the microphone. Oh my god! Hey, everybody, is that what you want? No, please don't. Please, I can't do Sorkin. I really can't. The actor plays Cuddy's in the very first episode. I understand that Julie Hill is in it. I understand that other people I love are in it. I don't think I can handle it. The mom from One Tree Hill is in the whole first season. I'll just watch One Tree Hill again. Which does... Do you want that, guys? (laughs) (laughs) Would that be Sam or Tessa? I don't... We've all seen it. Sam and Tessa watch One Tree Hill. We have to have a special moderator. (laughs) Have somebody ask us questions. It's It's a podcast where somebody else 
asks us, us the questions. Yeah. Is that what you want? Oh my god. <laughs> no, I think. Uh, but obviously, the the question that comes to my mind is, what show have I watched that hit me emotionally that I have rewatched at least once that still hits me emotionally? And you know what the answer is? What? Friday Night Lights. Okay. All right. Am I saying that's a better show than Lost? Yeah, I am. I think most people say it's a better show than Lost. Oh, I, I, have, I don't know that they do. You know what's I really- would be interested to know if anyone listening to this podcast doesn't like Friday Night Lights because literally everyone I have ever talked to who watches Friday Night Lights or who, who watched it loves that show. I, I also want to point out that Kyle Chandler, before he was coach, he was in a show called, I believe it was Early Edition. It might have been Morning Edition, but I think it was Early Edition. But basically- he got a special supernatural newspaper that told him what was going to happen. I think it's the next day. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So, like, he was on a supernatural show, too, before he was coach. You know, it's interesting. I think Grey's Anatomy, I think, for both of us, you know, because I had seen the first several seasons. So it's definitely had emotional impact for us. Grey's Anatomy seasons five through ten still have the same emotional yeah. impact for me that... They did the first time. Because to me, that's the peak of the show. And that is where the stuff that happens that I care about happens. And we've talked about watching One Tree Hill again. Mm-hmm. Uh, a show that ran for five seasons. Never five happened. seasons only. Yep. Just five seasons. Nothing else happened. Nope. They drove off into the sunset. They literally left. But like, that's a show that you watched week to week. Right? Mm-hmm. That is a show we binge together. And I'd say we both had very different emotional reactions to it based on how we watched it, at what point in our lives we watched it, and so on. But it'd be fun to watch again. Yeah, I'm not saying that One Tree Hill always holds up because it, it does doesn't. Not. But I still have the same emotional reaction to it. I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, realizing that I think the big thing that I hold on to with Lost is the ending's not good. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to experience it. I'm trying to go into this season as unbiased as possible. Oh, there's some good stuff in season. I mean, don't get me wrong. No, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for it. More wackadoodle stuff. Well, and that's my favorite part is the wackadoodle stuff. I mean, we get we we continue to get weird in the last season. There's a lot to recommend it. Weird, unintentional humor. That's the lost I love, and Vincent, and Rose and Bernard, and Rose and Bernard. You think we'll see Claire? I hope so. I hope everybody you has a moment to come back. Yeah, I I hope that that she comes back. I hope that Walt comes back. I hope that Michael comes back. Like, Ooh, Shannon. Walt and Mike, Shannon. Um, like, uh, even if it's just like for one scene, it would be cool to see all so, of them. So here's the question: Is Ian Somerhalder a, a vampire now? Is Boone a vampire? <laughs> Nina Dobrev gets off the plane with him. Oh my! Which one? Which character is she though? Oh, Ooh, does she have curly see, hair or straight hair? Now. I know this now. That's how you know. Ooh. Does she have curly hair or straight hair? Ooh. All right. That's it for this week. Join us next time when we'll be talking about the season six premiere, L.A. Nope. Nope. It's time for season two of The Next Generation. Ooh. That's right. We're doing Sam Watches Star Trek. Are you ready? Are you excited? Whatever answer you give, I don't believe you because you told me the other day that you were excited to watch Next Generation, which I think is adorable. I am ready to boldly go where I went last season.
<laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris nine. And you can find Tessa at the Bi Paradox. Until next time, if I never meet you, then I never have to lose you. Sob. <laughs> <laughs>